to look at Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter uh, 2 this morning as we continue in our story uh, of the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went away with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning, to be before your word, uh, Lord, to have opportunity to refresh ourselves and renew ourselves in the story of Christmas. Lord, I pray that you would do your work and speak your word over us today. We pray this in your name, amen. Uh, most likely, uh, our Katrina experience was different than your Katrina experience. To begin with, we didn't live here. Uh, we weren't here. We didn't go through those days in the same way. But we had family who was here. And as that megastorm was barreling toward the Gulf Coast, as that megastorm was kind of locking in on where it was going to go, it was heading right toward where Susan's parents were in Bogalusa. The eye of the storm eventually went directly over uh, Bogalusa. And in the preparation, in all of that time, getting ready, and we were talking, is it coming your way to Florida? Is it coming our way? We were on the phone talking with Susan's parents all the time. As it began to zero in, as it was coming this direction, it was coming to Bogalusa, the conversations were, are you going to stay? Are you going to leave? What are you going to do? And the decisions were they were going to stay at the church. And the church kind of has a downstairs uh, section that, that is, uh, is really kind of a safe location there. And they were going to stay there. And so Susan's family was getting settled into that place. And then Susan was talking to them. And they were just getting in there. And they heard a noise outside. And then the phone died. Susan obviously tried to call her mom right back and say, hey, what was it? What was that noise? What was happening? Is everybody okay? But there was no getting through on the phone line that day. We tried several times, obviously, throughout the day. The next morning arose, and as the sun came up, and we'd seen the news stories and things, we wanted to call and check again, and still no reply. Any calls that we sent through that day went nowhere. And the next day, Nowhere. And the next day, still no connections. And the next day, still nothing. It wasn't until almost an entire week had passed 
when we got a spotty call that was coming in and out saying, we're okay, we're fine. And then that was basically all that we could hear from them and understand in that moment. You've heard the phrase, silence is golden. Yeah, that wasn't really the phrase that was coming to mind in that time. That absence of hearing something, that inability to just hear a voice, to know that they were okay, that inability to connect was devastating in those days. You have been in similar spaces. Maybe you were trying to connect with family members from out of the area. Maybe you were trying to connect with people across the area. And then all of a sudden to be able to have no contact for days on out. The period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that, that little blank spot between those pages, is about 400 years of time. In that 400 years of time, there, there's no significant prophet that arises in those days. It seems as though there's no significant movement of God in those days. It's almost as though in those 400 days, they've been disconnected from God. In fact, there are biblical students that, that look at this period of time and they describe this as the 400 silent years. Silence isn't easy. It's uncomfortable for us. It causes us to have doubt. It causes us to feel isolated. It causes us to lose hope when they're silent. But now, as we open up Matthew chapter 1, as we open up Luke chapter 1, it's almost as though the phone is ringing off the hook now. All of a sudden, we have angels that are appearing everywhere. An angel appears to Zechariah. An angel appears to Mary. An angel appears to Joseph. And now, an angel appears to this group of shepherds. Then an entire host of angels appears to this group of shepherds. The silence has ended. The communication is here. God is stirring. God is moving. Imagine what it was like to be one of those shepherds in that moment to be one of those shepherds out there in that field those guys in that field that God after these 400 silent years would come and speak to you and fill the sky with his glory and with his message what an amazing moment it does kind of make you wonder why that field and why those guys out of all the people in all of history, out of all the people in all of the world, why that field and why those guys? You know, if we kind of step back even further and not just kind of look at this, this field and, and imagine that, but if we really kind of step back and really wonder in terms of all the things that are under God's control, all of the things under God's jurisdiction, all of the things that when God sits on his throne that he is over, it's amazing. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole uh, this week just trying to take a look at this idea of the grandeur and how big God's jurisdiction and power is. In fact, there were some things that I kind of looked at on the internet that was just trying to describe how big the universe is. And one of the things says, if you have to understand how big our solar system is, then what you have to understand is that if we were to shrink the earth down if we were to shrink the earth down to the size of a single grain of sand, then basically what it would be is that if we were to shrink the earth down to a single grain of sand, the solar system would take up 
a football field. That's how big the solar system is. And if we were to take that solar system and we would shrink the solar system down to a single grain of sand, then the galaxy would be 1,000 football fields. And if we were to take the galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy, and shrink that down to a single grain of sand, then the universe would be the equivalent of the Empire States Building. Now, when you think about all of that under the jurisdiction, the control, the authority, the creation of God, and then when you think about that field and those shepherds, why those guys? Why that field when God could have stirred and moved any place that he wanted to? You know, it's interesting. This morning when we take a look at the passage of Scripture, it actually tells us what our good news is. It tells us that here's the good news. God's hope was designed for everyone. God's hope was designed for every person. Take a look at it here in Luke chapter 2 verse 10. It says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We need hope, and this hope is found in Jesus Christ only, and the message, the word, the good news today is that God's hope is designed for every person who has ever breathed. And in fact, the shepherds put the exclamation point on that. God says, this is for everyone. Now, specifically though, I want to think about those shepherds, and I want to think about what is it that God was doing as he chose those shepherds. He could have chosen any time, any place, anyone, any field, any place. But he chose these shepherds. Why did he choose these shepherds? I chewed on that a bit this week. Here's some of the things that, that I think are true. The first thing is, and this is very complicated, the shepherds were available. The shepherds were available. This actually is pretty simple. Here it is, the middle of the night, little town of Bethlehem. Here's the question. Who's awake? Who's around? Who's alert? Who's paying attention in this moment? And the answer to that question is basically, well, it's the shepherds and, okay, basically the shepherds. They're the only ones that are awake. Now, I don't necessarily know that every shepherd was awake. They kind of played with that a little bit in the drama this morning. I don't know that I would have made a great overnight shepherd. Here's what I'm really good at overnight is, is sleeping. Occasionally, I mix in some snoring. But other than that, that's what I do overnight. So I don't know that I would have been one of the ones that were awake and alert and around and paying attention. But when the question comes is, who's around in that little town in the middle of that night? It was the shepherds. I wonder about today. I wonder if we were to ask the question, who is around today, say, in the middle of the night? 
Well, I think about our ER workers. I think about the, uh, the folks that, that man the hospital overnight. I think about security guards that, that have a detail that has them assign the hallways or the property or whatever it is that they're taking care of overnight. I think about long-haul truckers that find that it's best to, to put their miles on the road when nobody else is on the road. And that day it was the shepherds. Who knows who it would be today? The thing is, we don't necessarily know where God is going to work next. We don't know where it is that, that his unfolding of his plan, his power, his intervention, his, his intervening in some significant way, we don't know where that's going to happen next. Here's the reality. What God wants to do next could be in your family. It could be in our community. It could be in your school. It could be in your workplace. It could be in our church. And here's the amazing, wonderful thing to consider. It is quite possible that God desires for you to be part of that next story that he has planned and prepared and is at work in in this moment. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that not every movement of God fills the sky like this does. But make no mistake, the God of Bethlehem, the God of that moment, is alive and well and stirring and moving and is just as much unfolding his plan, his work, his calling of people as he was on that night. He is just as active today. God did not go into retirement or even semi-retirement after Christmas or even after the resurrection. And so it is possible that in this week, it is possible that in this coming year that God may look around and say, who's awake? Who's awake? Who's alert? Who's available? Who's around? Now the truth is, I want to be able to say, I am. I would think that as, as we roll into whatever is next and as we await and see what God wants to do next, whether it be in our family or in our community, in our workplace, in our school, or in our church, we would want to say, God, I'm around. I'm alert. I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm expectant for God. God spoke to the shepherds because they were available. But I would also tell you that God chose and spoke to the shepherds because they were instructive. And what I mean by that is that even though on one level they were just the guys that were around, on the other hand, God used those guys being around to teach us even in that moment. See, the truth is that the shepherds were not random. The shepherds were not just some like, well, hey, what do you know? It's shepherds. The reality is that if we had been paying attention, if they had been paying attention, if there had been any sense, it's one of those things that when you know the end of the movie and you watch it a second time, you go back like, how did we miss that? How did I not see that? How, how, how was that not obvious when I saw it the first time? I think that when we go back and we read the story a second time, we, we, we should kind of go, how did we not see shepherds? Of course it would be shepherds. Shepherds seem to be 
in the storyline constantly. If you take a look through the Old Testament, you take a look through the New Testament, Abel, the first person who, who worshipped uh, in, in, in a public kind of way, he was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The prophet Amos was a shepherd. Even the prophets that weren't shepherds, they wrote about shepherds. Isaiah was constantly writing about shepherds. David, when he describes his relationship with God and wants us to know what God looks like, feels like, how we encounter God, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. When Jesus walks amongst us, he says, I am the good shepherd. So what is the big deal about shepherds? There are very few people today when they, when they bring home a brand new infant child and they begin to imagine the future and say, this one, this one is going to grow up and be a shepherd. This one, I, I, I see shepherd written all over this one. The truth is, is that the relationship of shepherds was a complicated uh, identity. They were both honored, as we see in this list, and they were overlooked. And I think as the drama this morning kind of emphasized, I think they weren't just overlooked. Sometimes I think they might have been avoided. In fact, if you're sitting down at the table at Subway and a group of seven or eight shepherds come in, you might say, you know what? I think I might finish this sandwich in the car. I think I might pack this up and go, nothing against the shepherds. Some of my best friends are shepherds. Nothing against the shepherds, but there's just something. You can just tell they're more used to being outside than inside. They may be kind of loud. They, they may smell like sheep. You know, they're, they're, they're just, they're fine people, I'm sure, but I'm going to finish my sandwich in the car. They were overlooked, and I think occasionally even avoided. But I'm going to tell you, there's something about the DNA of what it means to be a shepherd that God says, pay attention to this. Because I will tell you that shepherds are present I will tell you that shepherds are gentle. We see that in that 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my, my shepherd. I shout not when he makes me to lie down by the, by the still waters. He cares for me. He looks after me. We, we see these pictures of Jesus carrying the, the, the sheep or the shepherd carrying the sheep. And we see that he is, a shepherd is present. A shepherd is gentle. But man, I'd also tell you that a shepherd is fierce. Don't overlook the fact that a shepherd is a force to be reckoned with. Remember David when he was about to face Goliath and they said, you got no chance against Goliath. Why, why would you? You're, you're a kid. You're a shepherd. Overlooked, avoided, didn't want anything to do with him. Hey, you are out of your league. He says, listen, in my league, I have to protect the shepherd, the sheep against lions and bears and I've killed them both as I protected my sheep. In fact, in the 23rd Psalm, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we, we have a clear picture of what that staff is, that the tall crook that, that kind of pulls the animal back in. And, and it's a really handy uh, tool to have. But we're not really have as clear a picture of what that rod is. In studying shepherds this week, I'm told that, that a rod was about a 30-inch long 
stick that had spikes that were hammered into the end of it, and it becomes an incredible offensive weapon to protect the sheep. You know what 30 inches is? That's a baseball bat. That's what the shepherd carried around is a baseball bat with spikes on the end, nails coming out of the end, and said, don't mess with my sheep. I want you to know that when Jesus, when the word of God talks about the movement and the character of God, he says, think shepherd. The shepherd is present. The shepherd is gentle. The shepherd is fierce. And I would also tell you that the shepherd is personal. Jesus says, the sheep know my voice. And I can just call them. And if there's a situation where there are multiple flocks with multiple shepherds that are sharing the same pasture, the shepherd can say, sheep, let's go. And his sheep know his name because the shepherd is personal. Here's the thing. What will it look like when God shows up? God wants you to think shepherd. What will it look like when God shows up in my life? Think shepherd. Shepherd, what will it look like when God shows up in your life? He wants you to think shepherd. Sometimes it's possible that we may not always like the idea of shepherd. You see, I think sometimes we have an image that we would prefer if we were to think about our relationship with God. We probably wouldn't say this out loud. But sometimes our practice says more than our words. Sometimes we would see our relationship with God as, as a drive through window. That when I have a need, when I need to be encouraged, when I need to be protected, when I need a breakthrough in my life, when I need to be broken free from bondage, when there is a circumstance that I need rescued, then we go to the drive through window and say, God, I need a blessing, I need a rescue, I need encouragement, I, I, I need you to take care of me in this moment. And we know that when we are in trouble, the person that we turn to is God. That's good. But I'm going to tell you that that is completely antithetical to what God wants us to do in terms of thinking about relationship. You see, the shepherd isn't a place that in crisis that we go to. It isn't a moment like, oh, no, I better pay attention to God right now. The shepherd is always with us, and we are always with the shepherd. And so I think one of the things that we have to understand is that God isn't someone that we go to in crisis, but it is someone that we live with by the day, by the hour, by the minute, and by the moment. And we need to grow in our relationship where that idea thrills our soul. Is that we don't really have we don't really have space where God isn't there. We shouldn't crave space where God isn't there. We shouldn't have moments where we say, I better call up God on this one. But the shepherd is present. He's gentle. Occasionally fierce when he needs to be. And the shepherd is personal. He's right there with you. Never from 
a distance. There is no robo-shepherd. There is no remote shepherd. The shepherd is always close by. And that's how we live with God. And so when God looks and he says he wants to break forth this news that he is here, that hope has arrived, he chooses the shepherds because they are available, but also because they remind us about the very character of God. I also would want you to think about these shepherds, that they were not just available, they were not just instructive, but I think they were also on notice. They, they, they were on notice. They, they were given a notice. Here's my question. What happens next? The passage of Scripture tells us that they, they heard the angels. They ran with haste to the manger. They, they ran with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby just the way that, that they were told. And they worshipped in that place. And then they ran back and they told everyone that there was to tell. But what about the rest of that night? What about the next night? Now that they didn't have a watch to check and say, well, it was about this time last night. But they knew it. They felt it. What about a week later? What about about three months later? What about a year later? What about five years later? What about a decade later? How much did the events of that night stick? Make no mistake, it was supposed to stick. It was supposed to grab hold of them for the rest of their lives. Now, the truth is, on the Jesus side, it got quiet for a while. In fact, on the Jesus side, there is the birth. It is dramatic. It is spectacular. It is amazing. It is heralded by the angels. But then it gets quiet. And in fact, we know just a handful of things about what happens next in Jesus' life. But out of really the next 30 years, we know about two or three things. It's quiet. Now, 30 years is a really long time. And it was quiet. Brian told me a great story this week. He tells the story of a concert pianist that had been hired to accompany and to be the featured soloist along with a symphony orchestra. And what they had done is that they had selected a Beethoven concerto. And this was going to be a big deal. It was going to be played in a large public setting. And so here it was. The symphony is working on the preparations. And for months, the the pianist is working on on her preparations. And it's going to be a big deal. Now, when you get to this level of big deal time, they, they don't spend a whole lot of time working together because their schedules and things. And so here is the night of the performance. The concert pianist has prepared and poured her heart into the preparation of this Beethoven concerto. The symphony orchestra has prepared all of their work for this Beethoven concerto. But here's the problem. Our boy Beethoven wrote more than one concerto. And the pianist had prepared this concerto. And so I don't know whether she snaps her fingers, cracks, do, do that as you get ready to play. You don't do that, it's not good. Well, I, that's probably what I would do. And that's the reason why I'm not a con- concert pianist and stuff like that. So I'm stretching and doing, here we go, I'm ready to go. Got my game face on, I'm ready to go. And then all of a sudden, the notes from the orchestra 
are a completely different song than what you've prepared. What do you do? Months of preparation are going down the drain because it is the wrong sheet music. Now, there's got to be some panic in that head. How do you do this? But here's the amazing thing for this concert pianist. That as the symphony played and the notes of that concerto began to engulf the room and engulf the pianist, she realized that this was a concerto that she had played years before. And as that music surrounded her, the notes came back and she began to play flawlessly and executed the 30 minutes in a wonderful, beautiful way because there are some things that are meant to stick. There are some things that we never forget. 30 years is a long time. But the truth of the matter is that you and I, most of us in the room, we still have memories from 30 years ago. In fact, it was 30 years ago this September that Susan and I went on our first date. There are some things that stick. There are some things you never forget. There are some things that are worth holding on to. And for some of those shepherds, they would have still been alive 30 years later. Some of those shepherds would have been local 30 years later when there was a teacher named Jesus who came to Judea and stirred up the entire population in a way that had never been thought of before. And people began to say, is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? And he began to turn Jerusalem upside down and they began to remember that there was a child named Jesus who was born, who was Christ the Lord. And I don't know how much time they would have spent in those intervening 30 years. But I gotta believe that for some of them, the notes started to come back. And when they began to hear about this Jesus, the teacher, and this infant Jesus that they had seen, it all started to come back together because it's supposed to stick it's supposed to remember and in fact I have to wonder whether some of them didn't say listen this Jesus that you're talking about let me tell you the first time I met him 30 years ago that's part of the way in which the story gets into the scriptures there are some things that are supposed to stick and are supposed to be grab hold of us for the entirety of our lives I wonder how many, like the concert pianists, could suddenly hear the music again. And I want to ask you, what is it that God has done in your life that's supposed to stick? What is it that God has done inside of your life that you were meant to never forget? And it's supposed to be a driving force, not just for a week or for a season, but for your whole life. You see, one of the things that is my prayer that happens when we gather in worship is I want God to do something brand new inside of your life.
That's my prayer. That's what we desire to have happen in the life of our church when we gather for worship is that God will reveal himself in a brand new way and teach us something and rearrange our lives in a way that we hadn't ever had happen before. But I'll also tell you that one of the things that I would pray that would happen in our lives is that sometimes we would be reminded of something that he taught us long ago that sometimes begins to just drift away, sometimes begins to recede into our memory, sometimes it just doesn't feel like it applies anymore. And what I would love to have happen sometimes when we gather in worship through song, through prayer, through preaching, through the word, whatever it may be, that there are times that you say, that's right, I remember that, and I'm not supposed to let go of that. So what's the now what this morning? The now what is that hope. Remember we said that the good news this morning is that God's hope was designed for every single person. Now listen, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your circumstance. I don't know what your situation is this morning. But I want you to know that in this moment, in the week that you are having this week, I want you to know that God's hope is for you. Whatever it is that's cost you sleep in this week, whatever it is that, that, that's caused you heartburn, that's caused you to lose your appetite, the thing that's, that's kept you awake at night, whatever it is, I want you to know that for that thing, that circumstance, God's hope is for you. And God wants to intervene in your life in the specifics of the stuff that you're dealing with this week. I would also tell you that this hope is for you Because there's nobody excluded from the hope of God. The truth is that I've grown up in church. I'm 50 years old. Man, I probably could make a list of the Sundays I missed church. This is the only thing that I know is to be in church. And and so for me, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to put myself in the shoes of someone who hasn't grown up in church or whose spiritual journey is different than mine. But I think it's very possible that there are some people who feel so distant and so out of place spiritually or in church that they hear a word like this and say, well, I'm sure it's not talking to me. I didn't grow up in church. In fact, while you were in church, you don't want to know what I was doing. Listen to me. God's hope is designed for every single person. It doesn't matter what your journey, what your narrative, what your story is. God's hope is designed for you. And I would tell you that God's hope not only handles the issues that you're dealing with in this week, but I would tell you that God's hope is designed to rescue rescue you from bigger issues than you've even imagined or thought of. You see, as much as we deal with difficult issues, and sometimes it feels like we can't hardly breathe under those issues, that there's an even greater issue that we deal with, and that is our separation from God because of our sin. And I want you to know that the greatest thing that God wanted to do, the whole point of the Christmas story, 
is to say, I've come to rescue you from that separation. In fact, when we see the title of Jesus as Savior, that's what it's talking about. To save you from your separation from God, from our rebellion from him, from our sins, from our failures, from our brokenness. I want you to know that this hope applies for you. And so the question that I want to ask this morning is, are you awake? Are you alert? Are you aware? Are you around? Are you hearing this because it is for you? And on this Sunday, if you have never received that hope of rescue, of forgiveness, to become a child of God, he says, now, this is for you. I came for you. And then I would also say, what is it in your life that you are not meant to forget? Man, I think all of us can find that there are different parts of our life, different truths that just start to drift on us. We either forget them or we put them on the, black, on the back burner. We begin to doubt them. But I want you to know that there are some truth that God has poured into your life that he has meant to grab hold of you for all of life. And it's my prayer this morning that you can hear those notes again. And you can remember some things you were never meant to forget.